How's everybody doing here on a windy, windy evening here in Hawke's Bay? But the season's looking good, hot and dry the way we like it. Uh, today on the podcast, we have Lauren Swift from Ashridge Wines. Thought it was pretty cool that we ended the year here with uh, two female winemakers. 2017 being a big year for the female. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. I'm a big supporter of, of Lauren. I think, uh, I don't know, wine making and the vineyard and all that can be a bit of a boys club. And uh, oh, I think, you know, Lauren jumps through the microphone on this one and uh, you can really really see why she's doing well at such a young age. Uh, she's tough, but she's also really bubbly and personable and fun. And uh, talking to her was actually really cool. It brought back some old memories of uh, when we were at EIT together <clears throat> and just remembering that personality and that, that really fun, uh, exciting person. You know, she's, she's excited about what she's doing and and uh, very positive and yeah it's cool it was great to speak to her she's doing some great things up the road uh, just up the road from me uh, in the bridge pile triangle here at ash ridge particularly with syrah and chardonnay but uh i mean hell she's won trophies for merlot here in hawks bay so she's a great winemaker and she won uh young winemaker of the year here in new zealand which is a really cool competition that uh, she is now a part of uh, organizing and supporting along with uh, some other great people throughout the country. Uh, so go check that out if you're a young budding winemaker. Uh, there's also a young viticulturist uh, and young horticulturist here in New Zealand. <clears throat> really cool uh, competitions, just fun, a lot of fun. And uh, you, you know, you get to meet a lot of people. And um, yeah, so you can, uh, Find Lauren all over Facebook, and you uh, can go uh, to Ash Ridge. I think it's ashridge.co.nz. Should probably double check that. Ash Ridge Wines. They've got probably one of the best uh, wine clubs, certainly in New Zealand. They've got a great loyal following. Yeah, ashridgewines.co.nz. And yeah, just a great operation, and uh, it was great to speak with Lauren. I uh, hope you guys enjoy it. are you i'm good i'm good uh i was just thinking on the way up how much are you are you just in the winery or you're in the vineyard as well at Ashridge? or i have started to not be in the vineyard this is the first summer that i haven't been out there wire lifting and stuff um we yeah. do all that ourselves yeah um but i'm doing a lot more in terms of marketing and lots in the cellar door yeah you got to be up up front at some point i mean yeah. i'd say you've been doing it long enough that you kind of know what's going on in the vineyard and what yesterday, needs to be done yesterday was my official five-year anniversary actually really yeah. it's been, man that freaking went fast 
I know. Uh, how many hectares is the property, Ashridge? I know you guys buy in some fruit too. But. Yeah, so planted is eight hectares. Okay. Um, four of Syrah across the two clones mm-hmm. of MS and Chaff. And then there is two hectares of Chardonnay and two clones again, uh, 95 and 15. And then two of Sav, um, which we are... We just talked about that we're going to top graft half of it in to winter. Sh- Mendoza Chardonnay and yeah. also Malbec. Oh, cool. Yeah. Malbec. A fan, we... of the, fan of those two. Yeah, me too. Um, Savvy's pretty good seller, but you guys sell so much domestically and through the cellar door. It probably doesn't excite as much people as like I export Savvy. So that's like a big part of my business. But people in New Zealand, even if it's good Hawks Bay Savvy, there's like much smaller market than Chardonnay, you know? Yeah, we have an amazing wine club and they soak up a decent amount. But every year, like, the Chardonnay's just skyrocketed and the Sav, it's around that 3,000 case mark. Um, and Oh, sorry, 300, Jesus. Yeah. I was like, oh, good. Good for you guys. <laughs> just a lot of vine, more vines than I thought you had there. Yeah, no, only about 300. Um, and we have been selling some sad fruit for the last couple of years too. So, mm. um, yeah, it seems to be the right time to start to uh, top graph some of that out. Yeah, and it's uh, the one thing, like, I didn't notice until I worked at Paratua about sav on bridge pause. Like, there's actually some years where it's almost a little too hot and, and it gets pretty pretty, I don't know, kind of blows past certain things, you know what I mean? You have to pick it pretty early and, and without trying to be like Marlboro, oh wait a minute, I don't want to say the wrong thing about Marlboro in front of a Blenheim <laughs> girl, but you don't want to pick it too early and, and uh, uh, but I've had, I had to do that up in Crown Thorpe in 13, was pick it really early and made an 11% wine, it was good and all that, but um, down here, it's, it gets pretty hot, you know, mm. I mean today is nice and humid and sticky. Um our sav is normally 11 to 11.5% because we are picking around, it's anywhere from 17 to 19.5 bricks, really, and it's when the acids are still really good. Yeah, the flavors um, are all there. And, and the flavors are there. Last thing you want to do is add acid in New Zealand. You yeah. know, you don't want to have to do that. Plus, yeah, especially if the flavors are there. And people like lower alcohol wines, especially salves you know what I mean lunchtime drinking yeah sure sure <laughs> I can have two glasses instead of one being yeah. 11 <laughs> um oh well, that's good so five years man that went fast so what was the first harvest there 13 yeah yeah 13 so we're in 17 okay that makes sense five vintages but no, oh, you started I before started, the, you started I started before the, on the 27th of November. 2012. Then. 2012. Oh, okay. So that was 12. My last exam was on the Tuesday and I started <laughs> on the Thursday. So uh, we'll go all the way back in a minute, but you started at EIT in marketing when I first met you. Yeah. And then, but by the time I think I met you, you already said, I'm going to do the wine degree. Yeah. So I moved here. 2009 to Hawke's Bay from Marlborough and I started the wine marketing uh, diploma because I wasn't sure if I wanted to do wine or more into the marketing side of things Um, and that semester I already decided I cared way more for the wine than the marketing so I decided to leap into the uh, three-year degree. You started seeing the Great physiology and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, oh, I like this better. 
Yeah, it was. What was I doing? Did you it guys was, make wine that, in that course? That course? Did you do like? No, a, like no. A, it was the wine sensory class. That's yeah. the class that we were in together. Yeah, yeah. Um, and maybe grape and wine production or yeah, something yeah. like that. Some intro. And then two marketing ones. Hmm. I mean, yeah, I still am so happy I did the marketing. It was consumer behaviour and like fundamentals to marketing. Hmm. I feel like in every aspect of your life, there's. You've got to have that marketing totally. knowledge and you can relate to so many things through it. So Yeah, I think even in your like there's so many winemakers who were like think they got this great wine. I'm like, nobody's gonna drink it. <laughs> like, you know, you could do all these things and spend all this money and then like, you know, it can be tough to sell. You kinda have to have your at the end of the day you want the people to drink your wine mm. and you have to have somebody in mind when you're making it. And even if it's a small a little bit of somebody, at least, you know, you know, or, or like you said, we're only going to make a few hundred cases of this, but it's going to be, you know, we know where it's going to go. Mm, uh, this, that story, eh? It's very important, the oh, story. It's, it's, it's everything now because there's just too many wines out there. Yeah. Which, I mean, it's good to go out and shop, except for Hawks Bay. We don't have a good wine shop in Hawks Bay. I will officially say that on the podcast now. Yes. I would, I would totally <laughs> agree with that. I don't want to, I don't want to name names, but. There's some, uh, it's, it's struggling, you know, and there's good ones in Auckland and Wellington. And, you know, I just feel like grabbing one of them and saying, you know, I know I've talked to one mutual friend of ours who says he might try to do something in Hawks Bay one day, uh, uh, Jules, and that would be great. I don't know if I just let the cat out of the bag or something, but, uh, you know, I'm just surprised that with all the great restaurants popping up in Hawks Bay and all the, you know, the good sort of food and wine culture we have here and the tourism and the local people that would support mm. that there isn't like a cool little fine wine shop somewhere. Yeah. I know there was years ago and I, I just, I don't know. It just seems like a big void. I mean, Marlborough's got scotch and I think that's what Hawks Bay really needs is it's that business model and it seems to be taking off around the world of the having an on and off license so there's like tapas style food you can go in Glengarry's has Dido or whatever that's like yeah yeah. similar sort of thing but um, like there's one in Melbourne it's called like the fine wine shop or something and you can either buy your wine take it away or it's ten dollar corkage to sit there and eat off their menu sort of thing and they open different stuff by the glass every day like i think something like that in hawks bay for wine industry people would be awesome plus everyone else everyone else and like you know you have a a couple rotating locals and then you really bring in some good stuff from other regions and shit i'd support it i've Probably a dozen friends who would be supporting it. Instead, I'm ordering wine shipped down from from Auckland or up from Wellington and stuff. So, but anyway, you mentioned Marlborough again, so we go back. Let's go back to Marlborough. Born there, born in Blenheim. Yes, born at the Wairau Hospital. I met your dad, and mom years ago, and your dad was running a tour business, right? Yeah, still got still that. doing that. That's the great. Marlsworth Tour Company. Yes, embedded um, in the industry down there. <laughs> Quite proud of his Marlboro Sauvignon Blanc, I must say, which is great. I think he's changed these days. He gets good price Chardonnays right now, and I uh, think he's a convert. I would, but but I always liked Marlboro Chardonnay too. A lot, oh, you me know? too. Yeah, I yeah. love that acidity. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I grew up. So my parents had an apple orchard in the Awatry Valley. 
Um, so I went to set in that's, skills. That's a local pronunciation as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, instead of the Awatiri. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. If you, if I looked at a map, I might even say it differently. But I heard that for the first time down there. Anyway, carry on. Sorry. Yeah, everyone would say there's no tree in Awatiri. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and so for me... Being in growing up in the country every summer, it was you know, you're starting to want a job and things to start generating some money. Um, and you don't want to work for your parents, obviously. Um, you have to do that for free anyway. Mm. I swear that's why my parents have four kids. Yeah, oh, yeah, we have five. Same reason, we Same all, reason. Work, all work in Cheap the wa- warehouse and restaurants, you know what I mean? Yeah, mm. so, um, or, I, or babysitters because <laughs> there was so many of us, you know. Sorry, go on. Uh, we grew uh, yeah so worked in vineyards and just for like a contractor so and at that time uh, the Awatry Valley wasn't really planted so there was a lot of work with young vines getting them up and running delegates had just was setting up some ridiculously huge vineyard down there um, and yeah and I hated them I hated everything about the vineyards and just <laughs> like the manual labour and and just sad everything about it I was just but you like, were like a teenager like, yeah, uh, like 14 this was or when something. I was 13 yeah, of course, all yeah. the way through um, yeah. through high school it was every every holidays pruning in winter and when those canes hit your face uh, when it's freezing like you just get angry like, yeah yeah <laughs> so I didn't have good feels for the wine industry at that stage anyway. Um, but growing up on App- Apple Orchard, we actually had a lot of uh, woofers come come through. And so we would always do like different um, food nights and stuff like that. So early on, I got really into um, different cultural foods and stuff like that and meeting people from all over the world. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot um, coming in. Yeah, and so when I... Um, was coming to finish school, I was like, oh, uni's just not my jam. Like, it's, I don't know what I want to study to stay somewhere for three years. And, yeah, it's when pretty, I was 18. It's pretty remarkable that, at least where I'm from, that everybody, like, has to pick something. And, and you're, I have way a lot of respect for those people that just say, no, I'm not going to do it. And I think there's less pressure here in New Zealand because there's a lot more of those tech kind of courses and things like just go do that for a year, take it to do a diploma, check something out, maybe then take a year off, go travel. Do, you know, there's a lot more of that here where back home it's like, you know, everybody's got to go to like a four year college and you might just study something you're never going to yeah. use again. For know? me, um, this was back in, so I finished in 06 at Marlborough Girls, and it was very much like that. It was only me or, like, the people that weren't ever going to leave Blenheim sort of thing. And so it was really hard. All my friends were going to uni for me to go, you know what, I'm not going to do this. I'm not mm. going to be a sheep and just do something. Um, and I ended up going and doing a gap year in the UK. So that was all, like, pre-sorted um, here, and it was working at a YMCA. Um, <laughs> That's good. Working with some kids, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So it was, like, where kids came for, like, their school camps. Um, so it was, like, canoeing, kayaking, rock climbing, abseiling. Where was it? Uh, the place is called Fairthorne Manor, and it was between oh, it Southampton. Oh, so, so fancy. <laughs> it, it does, <laughs> but it's really not. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I got paid £45 a week to work six days a week. Oh, Jesus. 
You got bored though? Yeah. yeah okay. So I'm that was bored. eating the camp food. Yeah, so yeah, like, yeah. you know, it was like pizza night one night yeah. every week. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So the kids loved it. but yeah. Fish and chips. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was definitely on there. Yeah. And then roast night on Thursdays. Sure, well, that's a big night. Yeah, oh, big yeah. night, big night. Yeah, yeah, exciting. So, uh, and that's between Southampton and Portsmouth in the UK. So down yep. further south. Yeah. Um, and it was awesome. There were about thir- uh, 35 of us, and it, nearly all of us were 18, and New Zealand, Australians, and a couple of South Africans in the mix as well. The Tri-Nations were there. <laughs> yeah. All That's so, all they uh, liked. Yeah, they yeah. only, yeah, probably because we were dumb enough to yeah, accept yeah. £45 a week. Yeah. Um, Life experience. Yeah, yeah, totally. It got us to the other side of the world, mm. so that was a big deal. And loved it, loved everything about it over there, uh, did Travel, obviously, when we were there, spent about two months going around Europe before coming back to New Zealand. Um, yeah, and what happened over there, I, obviously, I drank a lot of no. Euro wine. Really? You were you drinking? Know, for, no. Out of, like, the juice boxes? Yep, yep. Yeah, they were delicious. Yeah, there's some no. good table wine. <laughs> uh, no, I think that's the one thing everybody says, like, oh, because I'll tell people, stat i'm like new zealand has i think we still have the highest price per liter yes. in the world and yeah. we've maintained that through the uh gfc and all that kind of stuff and uh and i go yeah well the, we don't make the most expensive wine in the world but you have to remember that you know there's domain rothschild and all these you know thousand dollar bottles of wine but they make a hell of a lot more just 50 cent terrible wines, you know. (laughs) Fill up your cowboy out of like the petrol pump thing. Yeah. 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 It's pretty crazy. Italy and France and Spain have like a lot of bulk wine. But I think that's dropped off, from what I understand, it's dropped off a little bit because younger culture isn't drinking as much of that cheap wine. And vineyards are getting pulled out Mm. and things as well there. So. Yeah, so then I came back to New Zealand. Uh, this was about February um, in 2008, and I wasn't really sure what I was going to do or anything. Um, and my friend's mum worked for Claude Henry in Blenheim in the office, and she ended up getting me a job there. And that was working in the vines again, and I was thinking, oh, God, what am I doing? <laughs> like, but at least when I got there, it, there's so much more care and love. Yeah, that's and good, good wines, man. Yeah, amazing yeah, wines. Yeah, yeah. And it was much more about, like, we do these things because it affects the end product like this, whereas when you're working for a contractor, it's more like getting whipped because you need to hurry up because it's contract rate, yeah, yeah, yeah. cents per plant, yes. things like that. Who's so, the owner of Clou Henri, or is it family? Uh, so Henry Bourgeois family yeah. from uh, Sancerre, um, and the winemaker there, he's young as well. So when I met him, he must have been maybe late 20s, and he his name's Damien Vaughan, and he was brought over from France to come and like set up everything. And he always had a lot of time for me and was awesome really on, uh, early on. Um, so what ended up happening was... During the harvest season, um, I was out obviously helping with the picking and things like that. And then, and at the time, you know, with the French, they sit down, you have like a two-hour lunch with a lot of wine and it was fantastic. And I would go and help in the winery after hours by choice. They Mm. needed help and I just said, oh, yeah, I'm really keen to see, you know, what else is happening. Um, and they were a really international 
group of people that worked there as well. So, um, again, feeding that thing of loving international people, eating different foods, learning different cultures, which I think has probably helped me getting into the wine industry and actually falling in love with that as well. Yeah, I think it's the community is pretty small when it really it gets down to it. It's not far. You're not... You're a few degrees separation from some famous chateau in France and from somebody who's worked there or, something, or you know, big famous place in Napa or something. It's There's all these connections. And uh, I think, you know, certainly in my case, when you're an expat living in another country, you tend to gravitate to other expats, but obviously locals, everybody intermingles. Like, I feel responsible for having so many Kiwis hang out with so many French and Italian just because they... You know, we. Yeah. I didn't grow up here, so I don't know anybody who like I didn't go to high school with anybody here. Yeah. So I don't have anything tied down to be like, oh, I got to go to this friend's party. Yeah. And it's like, no, we're gonna throw a party with a bunch of people that I just met. You know. I feel the same, and yeah. I'm only from Melbourne. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it gets uh, quite provincial here in in, uh, yes. in New Zealand. You know. Uh, in fact, I remember when I first moved to New Zealand, I read in like it was like a legit book i don't know if it was uh what's the they have the famous website now travel blue planet or not blue planet lonely, uh, planet. lonely planet yeah, yeah. and, and it, i don't know if it was just a joke in there but it said hawks bay it said um and i was with these family friends of mine in auckland and it described hawks bay as like the locals glide from cafe to cafe drinking all their wines and this <laughs> and that and i was like is that what it's really like? And, and they were joking around. They're like, yeah, there's like only six families in Hawke's Bay. You know, everybody's royalty there and everything. And I was like, well, and then I moved here. And obviously I was like, whoa, it's a lot different than that, you know. <laughs> in a recent Lonely Planet guide, they were talking about Tomato Peak. And then they were like, oh, yeah, and we're sorry regarding uh, Havelock North and the socialite soccer mums driving around sipping coffee and stuff. And I was like, oh, that's very true. It is pretty true. <laughs> It is like uh, upper suburbia yes. have lock. Yes. Yeah, Not everybody. Like everybody who's literally sold the farm <laughs> <laughs> bought a house there. Uh, so many people. Uh, so yeah, you're, and then you. Oh wait, you decided to enroll in EIT, or there was no. something in between there. Or? So um, I actually went to Australia. I was thinking, God, I'm too big for Blenheim. Like too big a personality. It's too small a town. Knowing everyone. So I ended up going over to Australia and I did a marketing job over there. So that's where like this idea of maybe I like marketing sort of thing rolled in. Um, and I was over there and but only for six months. And I was just like, like the Australian lifestyle is very different. What to part New of Zealand. Australia? It was in Brisbane. Yeah. Um, that's pretty hot there, right? Yeah, hot. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> But it just, was, it just wasn't working out over there. So I decided to come back, started working at culinary again, and I said to them that I wanted a full harvest position. And they were like, we only have French in the in the cellar. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, I'm going to leave then. Um, and so I went across the road and did a vintage at Oyster Bay in Blenheim, which was um, So is it that big, giant one yeah. that we went to? Yeah. Or I don't know if you were on that trip. The massive one. Yeah, yeah. All glass front. Yeah, that's right, because it was pretty new, so I wasn't sure yeah. if it was there yet. Yeah. They do some big blends there. Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow. So, um, and that's where I learned that I was never destined for a big place. Um, I don't 
I always knew that I wasn't going to ever be like just one cog in the mm. chain. It wasn't really my thing. Yeah, to... yeah I could see that. I, <laughs> I don't really see you as a cog now. No, and I, yeah, even early on, like, you know, I didn't even know that I was going to get into wine properly at that stage. And I had made that decision that that was just not me. Um, much more into the family, smaller sort of thing. Um yeah, and it wasn't until after that vintage, so that was uh, mid-09, was um, when I decided I was moving here, and I was here in probably about a month of deciding, like, enrolled um, in the wine marketing thing here, got accepted, Was and it a conscious here. decision because of the... Because you could have gone to Lincoln, you could have gone to some yeah. other... Or Auckland Uni or something, but you wanted... Because of the tech you know sort of involvement in the industry here or you like the wines from here well it was interesting because first off um Christchurch was out of the picture it was where all my grandparents were uh growing up and I always just didn't like Christchurch the feel (laughs) of it and I was like I'm not going there there's no way and obviously wanted to get out of Blenheim so that ruled out NMIT um not a, I'm not a big city person anyway, and I was like, well, I've never been to Hawke's Bay, or we had, like, on a camper van trip when we were young sort of thing. Um, but I was like, let's, you know, go out of the comfort zone, extend that comfort zone, and go somewhere new where you don't know anyone. And I can relate to that. <laughs> yeah, and I really like that yeah. sort of thing. So um, that's how this came up. Um Yeah, and also the fact that, yeah, it's so close to wineries. um, Yeah, yeah, and just see what else was out there in the wine world for New Zealand. So So, uh, let me see if I can back up. I know, obviously, Ash Ridge, you did a harvest out in Maracacaho out at... uh, 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 At Hawke's Ridge. Hawke's Ridge, and then where else? Yeah, so in... We all while kind of, I was studying. Yeah, we all bounce around while we're studying and just see where we can work. You so know? I didn't work at Hawke's Ridge when I was studying. So when I was studying, I worked, I pruned uh, the lion's block um, every Little winter. Yeah. yeah. And um, Is so. That John Johnny Vandalin? Or no, John? Johnny Lyon. Oh, Johnny Lyon. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So uh, the Brook, Brookfield Hillside block. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also was working the cellar door for um, Crossroads. That's right. I remember that. Yeah, uh, and I yeah. did harvest there in 2012. Um, and then I was also working for Karen Bush at KTB. Mm-hmm. So that was like through the week doing some bulk wine sales. So I felt like going into the wine industry, my eyes were quite wide open. I knew how, you know, there was all this dirty behind the scenes of bulk wine selling and <laughs> stuff like that. So I wasn't like, oh, the romance of the wine industry sort of thing, um, which I think is probably, it definitely helped me, I think, with uh, getting in with Ashridge and stuff like that as yeah, well. Yeah, you got to be sort of functional, practical, like you got to know the game a bit. Yeah, you know? definitely. Yeah. I know I feel bad sometimes when I'm, yeah, and you're lucky at a young age. You knew that probably because you grew up in a wine region like Marlboro. But I just feel like some people, I'm like, oh, you're going to get your heart broke. You know, if you just, just bring it down a little, pump the brakes a little. Yeah. You know, understand there's a business to this whole thing as well. And uh, that, you know, I don't think anybody escapes it. I mean, you know, there's, 
you have a bad vintage, you're going to be looking into the bulk wine market to get rid of some of your stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or um, so it should just be accepted. Or, or I mean, not to say that you have to do it or anything like that, mm-hmm. but you know, you just know it's there, and you're like, oh, that's that part of the business and everything. Yeah. Uh, and even within anybody's production, I think you have to you know it's not to say you make compromise you just have different levels and you be strict about your levels and you say well this is definitely not going to be a reserve year or this you know is and we're going to do it the best we can in that year and spend the money and things like that but i uh i don't know i just crack up i have a few people in mind i'm thinking of right now that i'm (laughs) like like oh they're gonna get their hearts broken you know because they're they're just so gung-ho right now and i'm and, and i'm like yeah it can't all be you know, grand crew, yeah. you know what I mean? And, and it's a growing industry here and everything as well. So it can be tough, but, um, well, that's cool. And then, yeah, on to Ash Ridge. Yeah. So and it's been a good run there for you. Yeah. It's been awesome. So I actually met Chris on our South Island excursion. Um, so, you but know, he was, he was down there. No. So Chris was studying at oh, EIT. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he was doing the like graduate diploma in winemaking and he still has never finished it and he never will now. Um, he's just, <laughs> I'll be fine. I'll be fine. <laughs> he's like, oh, I've got the winemaker now. She can just sort it out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he was on the excursion and I remember thinking that, um, who is this guy? Like, he's such a pompous prick, pretty much. Because <laughs> we were, um, obviously, my parents sold, so the apple orchard turned into a vineyard when I was still at home, and they ended up selling that and moving into town just to focus on their tour business. Um, and so I said, oh, yeah, we'll have a party at my parents' house when we were down there on the last night in Blenheim. And um, he was like, oh, yeah, and we'll have a barbecue, and I'll bring butterfly lamb. And I was like... Righto, if you can afford it, like, you know, we're students here. And um, so he rubbed me the wrong way from the get-go. And then we were in Martinborough before, like, everyone saying their goodbyes and stuff before all the vans were coming back. And he was, um, and he goes, oh, yeah, well, if you don't know, like, I own Ashridge. I'm looking for people to help for the summer and stuff like this. And I I was like, oh, I really don't like him. I'm going to take his card. I have nothing teed up. So um, (laughs) I decided, okay, I'll give him a ring. So rung him up and he decided that he actually wanted more than one person. So my friend Sophie, she was like, I'll come out as well. You know, I don't have anything on for the summer. So I rung up and made an appointment during the, um, like, exam times in 2012 and he was like, oh, yeah, come out on this day. And then he wasn't even there. He decided <laughs> to take the day off or whatever. And I was just like, oh, what is this guy? Like, Jesus. Um, and it was actually Simon Bell. He was um, he had just started a month earlier. And so he's there, like, interviewing us. And I was thinking, oh, I know you from EIT. Yeah, exactly. like, this is crazy. Um, so... Yeah, and then anyway, it all got teed up, and I was like, okay, so I'm going to do vineyard and cellar door work sort of thing and just go from there. Um, my first day, we um, planted vines that day. Um, so we'd, they'd ripped out three rows of Savion Blanc already and put in another clone of Syrah in there. So that's pretty cool. Like, I've done a lot of work with those vines all the way through now. Mm. Um, with it being three rows, I mean, it's nothing. Um yeah, yeah, so that was a, my first. I mean, talk about from 
bud to bottle like that's yeah. that's great to see like you know you know those vines and everything baby vines all the way to making really good wines now with it so yeah no no i i, I think it is significant even if it is three rows you know what i mean you can see the different stages of the vineyard and all that so yeah i mean i prune them for the first two years of their life like i just was like i'll just do it mm. i'll look after these things because mm. i did i felt so special you know about them and just everything so yeah yeah um yeah so that was the summer working um there and i chris wasn't really firming anything up like i thought that he wanted me around but he wasn't really being vocal about anything it's not what he's like he's quite reserved i think he thinks a lot of things and never says anything out loud um not until i really press him Mm. which after five years i've totally nailed how to how to work (laughs) that out now um but he I kept applying for vintage jobs and I was like, oh, I'm going to go back to Marlborough. Like, at least I can stay with mum and dad for free. I can save up some cash before I decide, like, what's my next step. Um, But already I decided that I didn't just want to do vintage shopping. Like, I, I was like, really, my dream at that stage was I wanted a job that was permanent but would let me go and do a vintage overseas at the same time. Um, yeah, it's doing similar thing, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. just to, like, extend the knowledge but also just have that security of a full-time job, really. Um, And it wasn't until about February after having all of these, and I just kept saying, oh, I've got this job offer from this place and this place, and he just kept saying, well, are you going to take it? Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I don't have anything else on the go, so I guess I might have to. And then um, he decided to tell me one morning, it was a Saturday morning, And I was far too hungover. Well, actually, let's say still drunk working in the vineyard that morning. So I would come in at like eight, do vineyard work, and then work the salad door for the day. Uh, would be like the setup. It's great, hungover after doing vine work, and then you got to sell wine. You're like, oh, I'll just buy it. It's good. <laughs> pretty much. Or yeah. just do the hair of the dog thing, yeah, and yeah. it would work out yeah. pretty well. Um, and, yeah, he came out and like then decided to tell me what his grand plan for me was. So he like laid it all out there. He's like, so we're going to be contract winemaking at Hawks Ridge. Um, I've teed it up. You're going to go work at Hawks Ridge to make the wines. <laughs> He's like, wow, you've planned my whole future out. Okay. (laughs) And he's like, and you're going to, um, and then I'm going to build a winery. So pretty much this is your trial year, 2013. Um, And then, yeah, and at that time we hadn't talked about me going away for harvest, but I ended up going away for harvest as well. So, um, again later, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You've gone a couple times. Yeah. Yeah, So 2013, um, obviously an amazing vintage. So my job at Hawksridge was quite easy uh, with regards to the fruit, but I was quite out of touch being at Hawksridge, getting paid from Hawksridge. I wasn't able to like make picking decisions or like get involved in the vineyard or anything like that. So, um, yeah, but everything um, went fine up mm. there. Um, we made some pretty good wines that year, um, but nothing like special in my opinion. Um, and at that time, we also had a consultant uh, called Chris Archer, who um, was he's in another business venture with Chris as well. So um, you might know the product Joy. It's a sparkling Riesling. Mm, I don't actually, but that doesn't mean anything. I'm... It's not like my finger's on the pulse or anything. I have no idea. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Anyway, it's not really important. But, um, 
Yeah, so he was in involved with like this is the wine styles that we're gonna make. And before he came on board, Chris was kind kind of gonna let me like make decisions about the styles. And then this guy, he's Australian, came in, he was like, oh, no. This is what we're doing and everything mm-hmm. and I was going, I don't agree with any of this, like adding acid and all of these Australian things. Mm. So I don't believe that for me that's me in a bottle, the thirteenth. So that's all right, though. And then that vintage, I went to um, America, went to Sonoma and worked at Kundi. Yeah. Um, Big production. Yeah. Mm. And I loved it there because the assistant winemaker was a Kiwi. Um, I think I know. His name's Blair Guthrie. Yeah, I know because I worked at Gerard. I know Blair. Yeah. They're like sister wineries. Yeah. He's yeah, I've awesome. Been, I've been to a... Uh, cross-dressing party with Blair. <laughs> that does not surprise me. <laughs> well, the whole of Gerard, it was like our harvest party. Everybody decided we had to cross-dress for the party, which was, Lovely. yeah. So I wore a um, a tie-dye muumuu that I bought on the side of the road. Uh, so I was kind of like a, uh, a hippie, hairy-chested woman, you know. Nice. Yeah, it was a good party. We played poker. Uh, actually, actually, it's why I, t- I talked to Blair a bunch because we played Hold'em uh, for like hours at that party. Yeah. And uh, then I think I slept in my car because I didn't want to drink and drive. So anyway, yeah, yeah I know no. him. Yeah, he's a good dude. Yeah. And uh, that's a good organization and everything. So that would be good. I told you the cat was going to come. <laughs> he's pretty regular at that during our uh, our podcasting. But anyway, yeah, that would have been a good experience, yeah, because they make a lot of different cool wines, they're kind of good regional wines. Yeah, and, yeah. and also the head winemaker, Zach, I can't think of his yeah, last name Yeah, right I remember now. Zach. Yeah. But, um, and he was making his own wine there at the same time, and he's 100% Cab Franc, um, uh, and his brand is called Jonas. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've had those wines. Yeah, yeah they're great. Yeah, yeah they're really, really like good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um like I said to Blair, he said early on like that he felt like I was really similar to him and he wanted to help me as much as possible. Like I said to him, I'm freaking out. Like when I get back, there's going to be a winery bill and I'm expected to run it. Like I feel like I don't know anything. Like I don't know how I'm going to do this. So like every I, – I sat in the lab with the winemakers – every break time and I weaseled my way into doing lots of like the lab work and stuff so I got to spend a lot of time with them talk about lots of things um they gave me so much of their time which was awesome um it made me feel a little better coming back here um but yeah the winery it was a shell mm. um we had to it's a good shell though I've been inside yeah, it's a nice shell it's, it is it keeps it's... cold and everything you know well yeah when I turned out there were no tanks so we actually had to decide on the tank design because we got the high ab in there and I'm there going, oh, my God, like trying to draw out, like, you know, without working in the winery, you don't really know how things are going to be functional yet. Um, so, yeah, there was obviously a bit of tweaking going forward after um, the first vintage in there just for based on the forklift where you drive one of yeah, those real like, old uh, We monsters. can't turn. Yeah. <laughs> we got to move that tank, yeah. <laughs> So just things like that. Um, oh, you would have remembered everything from Malcolm, you know, and his oh, winery engineering course, you know. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Went into so much great detail. Yes, exactly. From all those those papers. <laughs> Fluid dynamics, you know. Totally, yeah. Figure out my pump speed based on yeah. my RPM and, oh, yeah. oh, God. Yeah. That sounds horrible. It yeah. really does. Um, then, yeah, and we bought the wines down from Hawksridge and I had to finish um, a couple of the wines pre-vintage and 
God, that was a scary thing. Like, never finishing ones before in my life. We obviously had the consultant, but he would come once a month for one day sort of thing. Um, And he was always too busy to chat on the phone and stuff like that. But whatever, it was fine. Like, I stumbled my way through. But but would you agree that, and I've not, like, I had an opinion on this until probably even more recently, that... Sometimes less is more and uh, wine is pretty resilient. And if it's, you know, when in doubt, like if you think you shouldn't be heavy handed, you know, you probably shouldn't be. And, you know, sometimes wines get screwed up by, you know, thinking like, oh, we should, whether it's, I don't know, fine it more or whatever, you know, try to round the edges and carve it too much. If you, you really have to be really, really good at that to, to get it right and need years of experience and know what the wine's going to do in five years. So, you know, your vineyard and all that. And it's impossible to know that. And certainly in my case in years past, but it sounds like in your situation. So you don't really have a choice, but to be like, well, I guess it tastes pretty good now, as long as it's stable and, you know, cold yeah. stable, protein stable, all that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, whether you decide to filter or not, then you just got to say, all right, here we go. And we got the screw cap, so that helps. Yes, yeah, the screw definitely. cap helps. And that's exactly what it was. Like, if anything, I feel like of um, every year, like, I dial back more and more and, like, just want to let the wines be what they're going to be so like not overworking them during harvest um through pump overs and things and now i'm not finding at the other end pretty much any of the reds um and i really like that because they're naturally gonna soften over time and And i think um the whole of hawks bay even from when i started doing vintage here everybody's backed off you know four or five pump overs a day and this and that it was like just automatic you know uh at some of these places and uh you know a little more gentle with what we're doing and just give it more and but then on the other hand maybe give it more air and things like that but um yeah it's it's been it's it's happened so fast here like you know and old the old world would probably take 30 40 years you know but then I hear things from over there too that they're they're pivoting quicker in these days too because they got to keep up with New Zealand and yes. Australia and, yeah. and California and stuff. So, uh, but it's pretty remarkable in the last ten years what I've seen. You know, when I got here, Syrah was like, I tasted the 07 Vital Syrah, and and I thought, oh, this is actually a bit almost going into Shiraz, mm-hmm. and it, and then I started doing the math and looking up and talking to a few people and i realized they've only been making it since like oh two and that was by far the hottest year they had yeah and everybody got excited and let it hang out because i love the 05s and 06 syrahs from a lot of producers in hawks bay particularly the 06s and it was they were just more elegant and but they still had the great white pepper and, and they were silky and I was like, oh, these are sevens are, and and that was a lot, not just vital. It was a lot of other wineries too that I think got excited with the hot season and this mm. and that. Whereas I think thirteen, a lot of people didn't make that mistake again, yeah. you know, with Syrah and, and picked it when they could, and and in a lot of vintages since '07. But I was thinking, this is the first hot year they've had with Syrah. Like that's how young this this region is. Yeah, and that's one of our like, you know, every winemaker is excited about Syrah in the region. Uh, well, I am just to drink it, I guess. <laughs> but I mean, I'm involved with Peritoa a bit with that. But um, no, it's interesting you say that. That 
you know, your learning curve is just going really quick as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and, um, and it must be interesting, too, with that site, because I went and looked at some fruit next door there, and I'd never really stood out there. And it was a hot day. It was probably a month ago. And uh, I suppose I never could tell now, like living on this property here, I see how windy it is and yeah. how dry it is and everything like that, that we're really in this old river valley uh, and that how much the sun blazes. Because I, I didn't know how much the shadows would be from the hills or where the sun yeah, set. And it's not at all. You're no. right. It's not at all. It's just the whole time the sun is, is, is blazing out there. Yeah. Um, so it says a lot for Bridge Pa, but also like, Bridge Pa is a pretty big region. Like, it you is. know, it's a lot different from Paratua to Ash Ridge, you know, yeah. and to here as well. You know, I feel like we're just a bit windier here than we are at Paratua. I don't know. Couldn't speak about Ash Ridge. Yeah, but. it's interesting because we've taken now for the last three years, we've taken fruit from different parts of the triangle. So um, from the other side, so from Paratua and Abbey and things. And how they develop compared to our site is very different. Like we're getting a lot of flavors quite early on um, at the lower sugar levels. Um, and whereas the other side, it doesn't seem the same. They seem to accumulate sugar quicker, but the flavor development is not at that same speed. Um, so it's great for blending components mm. and things. Would um, you say that though, at least what I said, that side over there, you know, the Maracacaho Road side is a little more of the mochas and chocolates and stuff like that. When those flavors do come around. Yeah. You know. Um, we took Chardonnay. I'm thinking of Chardonnay when I'm thinking about these things from that side. And they were just so different to ours. Way higher acid. Um, and I do believe that that hills along this side, like locks in that heat um, and we're not getting that prevailing uh, northwest wind at the same sort of rate so um, it seems to be warmer in this side of the triangle Um, yeah it's it's interesting like it's a great site I mean it's so weird those triangles I I think it's it's like in the baby stages of like it's gonna it's good that finally I, I couldn't believe until only in the last what five years that it's really made a push as a region in itself. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, I made some wines from here a while back, uh, like '09 and '10, and I thought, oh, well, these are pretty good. Like, I like the fruit from here and everything, and it's a little different than the Gila Gravels, but uh, certainly can be just as good. Um, but it's a much bigger region, and I'm wondering if sometime down the road. If it's going to break, not break up, but like it gets some like, well, this is this side of the triangle and this is this part of the triangle. And there's going to be even more recognition within the Appalachian itself. That Potentially. Yeah. I think like at the moment. Sort of the, left bank, right bank kind of stuff. you know. Yeah. I mean? And I think you do. You get massive differences on either side of the triangle, like we've just talked about. But, um, you know, just driving down here, you think of who's along here. You've got. Elephant Hill, you've got Church Road, and that's all of their top breads along mm. there. Um, obviously, Tomata, um, there's the wine portfolio, um, and us. And I just feel like this side is, it's really um, like some amazing fruit coming off here, making some awesome wines around the bay. And then on the, the third side, which is where I used to live, I found that area to be so much 
cooler and heavier soils and everything like that. It was, yeah. yeah. Well, we take the fruit from next door. Yeah, yeah, that's Merlot. right. Yeah. Yeah. It's so much like probably later and later. everything everything like that. So Cooler. Cooler, yeah. And, and when you go out and you walk in the vineyard, oh, this is a little heavier, you know. This is – so it'll be interesting to watch. Uh, How you it know. develops. Yeah, which will give us an excuse to chat again sometime. Definitely. You I mean, know? I would – yeah, I, I think it is exciting – and it is doing really well, the whole region. Um, and there is this push. But even within the Bridge Power Triangle, we can't decide on, which I think a lot of Hawke's Bay as well, is like, what are we focusing on? What are we knowing for? Um, and we're massive believers that at Chardonnay and Syrah, we're making those two wines in all of our tiers at Ashridge. And I think there's so much excitement for both of those Um at the moment, we've just um, opened our reserve Syrah on the cellar door. And how I talk about it with people is it's like, this is a wine that you could open anywhere in the world and it's going to give you that sense of place. Syrah is that thing for Hawke's Bay. It's totally. what all the international people are talking about. But there's still this whole stigma around the Merlot Cabernet blends. And well, they're not going to go away. And they could they're be. They're not. Yeah, they're going to be here and they're good wines. And, yeah. you know. Um, we do make one. We do. Well. Yeah, no. And they're, you know, there's plenty of Merlot out there and there's a decent pe- amount of people selling them, you know. Mm. Tomata's selling a heck of a lot of Merlot. Yeah. And yeah. so, um, but I think you're right on an international level. Like, I've always never really tried to focus on the Merlot or Cab wines that much when I bring them over to the States because you're also competing with so many other regions yeah. with that. And it's a, it's a tough to compete. I don't think Psalms and even just your regular consumers can get their head around it. Whereas mm. Syrah, though it's much smaller, they can, they go and, and, the, but the wine itself is much more special and different. And like you said, a sense of place and uh, who doesn't love Chardonnay? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, Chardonnay is expressive as well and was reinvented for me when I moved to this place and I feel like every time I pour a Hawke's Bay Chardonnay for somebody who's not from here or a New Zealand Chardonnay but particularly Hawke's Bay they go whoa I haven't had Chardonnay like that I'm like yeah well there's real fruit there you know (laughs) it's got all the other things that make Chardonnay fun which is difference as a clone difference as a site difference as a winemaking but uh, great acid uh, and fruit you know like fruit flavors you know there's so many chardonnays in the world that just are like well that's a good white wine you know that's really low it tastes like oak (laughs) (laughs) so um no and and that's and i really even though i don't make any syrah or chardonnay (laughs) i'm like 100 percent supportive because i think that's the you know that to me that's i totally agree with you and uh I mean, it's what I can do to be different as well, but I love drinking those wines, and yeah. I, I do sell a bit of them as well. So, Oh, well, yeah, you do. The, the Malbec and Viognier, in terms of wines, are like my next favorite. Well, that, and the then people say, why do you make Malbec and Viognier? I'm like, well, because I can't get a hold of Syrah and Chardonnay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that, and that's 100% truth. You know, yeah. that's why uh, that's I think why I everyone's it. screaming for Chardonnay. Yeah. Um, I yeah. just gave up a few years ago, and, like, maybe someday – I'll uh, I'll get back and I'll find a site and we'll work something out. But yeah. for now, I was like, that's okay. Like you know, I don't need. But um, it almost makes it more interesting to drink them now because I'm like not in my own head about like if I go drink somebody's Malbec, I'm like, 
a little bit more analytical yeah. and thinking about that site and it's now, how does it compare to me? Yeah, 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 that, yeah, exactly. And how do they make it, and what do they yeah. do different? Because there's not a lot of people really focusing on that. And uh, but you know, it just makes Chardonnay and Syrah just enjoyable. You yeah, know? that's that's so, awesome. Though I so. wish I well, I in terms of my cellar, the ones that are the biggest volume is Chardonnay. Syrah and also Pinot Noir. We're, and then I've got in other reds and in other whites category. I'm pretty similar. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I wish um, I had more Italian stuff, but I'm going to Italy soon, so. You can stock up. Yeah, stock up. But there's actually, and it goes back to our original thing we were talking about, there's actually some good importers now. My distributor in New Zealand, for instance, you know, is pouring like, they have like pretty good Barolo, you know? There's like yeah. good French wines in New Zealand. There's, you know, good Spanish wines, and we don't see them in Hawks Bay because I mean, you can go online and find them really easy, and yeah. go, you can talk direct to importers. And uh, which, by the way, if you you know, we can get them at cost because we're technically trade. I was going to say we might have to do a swap with yeah. that distributor. They have some amazing <laughs> so internationals. Sounds like uh, something we need to do. But, well, let's leave it there. We just did fifty minutes. See how fast that went. Jesus, we didn't even talk about France or the young winemaker. Oh, jeez, so much to do, you know. We can come back to it again next year. Okay. All right. What I tell you, great to speak with Lauren. That was a a quick, well, just about an hour, I guess, that went by there speaking with her. And uh, one thing I forgot to mention is her own label that she started, Swift Wines, which, you know, hey, you got a great name, Lauren Swift. I mean, might as well name the wine that way. It's a cool name for a wine, uh, which I believe is just Syrah at the moment, but I could be wrong on that. Uh, but I know it's really good. And yeah, I want to thank Lauren for doing that. And I want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas and a great 2018. This is uh, this will be the last one I post of the year. I actually recorded another one with uh, now gin producer Chris Reed. But I think I might blend that with another one as it's kind of a shorter episode. Uh, maybe we'll do something over the holidays. I'm going to be traveling a bit, doing a bit of research, doing a bit of soul searching get ready for a big 2018 harvest got a lot of good things going on uh, particularly in martinborough i'm excited about some things happening down there with the fruit and so man i look forward to uh it's going to be tough to do a lot of episodes hopefully i can sneak some in in february maybe march but um like i said i'm going to be traveling who knows maybe i'll sneak an episode in while i'm there so or while i'm overseas so uh yeah thanks for listening all this year we seem like we took a big step up with uh, i had one friend call it the uh 2.0 of the the podcast which went from well vintage stories to db podcast well it used to be db podcast and it was wine is food a copyright issue and pretty much settled now on vintage stories uh that sort of covers all the basis i think i could probably talk to you know, political people and, uh, 
uh, who's running for mayor in Hastings or anything I wanted to do with that title, Vintage Stories, really doesn't limit us. But I will be mostly keeping it to winemakers, brewers, chefs. I love to talk to some local chefs. There's an amazing food scene here happening in Hawks Bay. Maybe that's uh, an idea for next winter when things settle down here. But uh, I'll talk to you guys in 2018. Cheers. Thanks a lot.